You'll never find another one like this one. If you don't rec if you don't recognize the movie, that is from the movie Chariots of Fire, and it is the true story of Olympic runner Eric Little. Eric Little was a missionary kid, and he said, God made me fast, and I feel his pleasure when I run. Eric Little is famous because he refused, though he was the shoe-in for the gold medal in the 20, 1924 Olympics. No one could touch him in the 100-yard dash, but they scheduled his trial for that meet on a Sunday, and he refused to run on a Sunday. One of the other runners said, I've, ha I've got my medal, he can take my place in the 400. He was a sprinter, but they signed him up for the 400, and his detractors predicted that he would die about the 300-yard mark. He would not so much as finish the race and would not place in the race. But you saw how he ran, and he was the gold medal winner for the 400 in that Olympics. The rest of the story. You see, Eric Little was a man who lived his life flat out for God. No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. At the, he, he did not run in the next Olympics, though he was the gold medalist. The shoe-in for the gold medal in the 100, the gold medalist for the 400, he did not run in the next Olympics four years later because he was on the mission field in China. And Eric Little died as a missionary in China during World War II. No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. He was a man who lived with passion for God. And everything he did, he did it to the glory of God, and he did it with great passion. You know, I remember when we did a mission trip several years ago, I'm just curious, how many of you were on the mission trip to remodel Kim Williams' house in Houston, Texas? Some of you are still here. You remember what Jacob Kramer said to our group before you, before you went? He said, come back empty. Be used up. Give it all you've got. Be used up and come back empty empty. Joe, that's no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. That's what Peter is writing about in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always, that's the passion, that's I will be diligent. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth, that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me and I will make every effort there it is again I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things 
For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. <clears throat> For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. <clears throat> Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Our, our series for this month for you is passion. Passion in the Lord's work, passion for God, passion for life, passion for the glory of God, no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. We talked last week about the basis of our passion and the progress of our passion, but this week with the verses that I have read to you, our text, verses 12 through 21, you might ask yourself, what does passion look like? If, I'm, if you want me to be passionate for Christ in my life for God, whether it's on my job or in the school or in my neighborhood, what does that look like? What is the anatomy? What, how is it recognized? How is it made up? What does passion <clears throat> look like? Well, for one thing, that passion looks like urgency. It looks like urgency because we realize our time is short. Our time is short. He says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. I want you to notice his passion. I will not be negligent. That means a dedication that means putting things first. I realize that my time is short, and so I am dedicated. I will not let anything go. I won't quit. I will serve. No reserves. I'm flat out, just like he ran. By the way, I, I, I meant to mention, did you notice, John, how he ran? They said of Eric Little, John, that he would throw his head back so far and, and he would flail his arms like this. Nobody could figure out his running style. And nobody, he was so fast, Carl, nobody dared mess with him to try to correct it. But people said he would throw his head back so far when he ran that he couldn't possibly see where he was going. So Sarah, they said he's running by faith. He really can't see where he's going. And do you ever feel that way? Catherine, do you ever feel like I can't see what's ahead? I don't know what's going to happen. And we run by faith, being diligent, laying it all out, doing everything we 
can, everything we know is right to do, being negligent in nothing, doing it all, doing all we can, because our time is short. He says, I'm always going to remind you of this. What is your purpose? Why are you here? Did you ever sit down and write out your personal purpose statement? Todd and Jenny Dornan are here with us again from California, and they've been through the mentoring process with me, and that's one of the challenges I, I, I threw at them. What is your life's purpose? What is your purpose? One of my favorite studies is Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. You can't be driven for your purpose if you don't know what your purpose is. What has God called you to do? You say, oh, wait, I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher to have a calling from God. If He's called you to be a dentist, then fill teeth for the glory of God. If, if He's called you to be a plumber, you, you ought to fix pipes to the glory of God. If He's called you to be a teacher... You ought to teach children to the glory of God. What has God called you to do? Man, do it flat out. Do it flat out for the glory of God. No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. Fulfill your purpose. I want you to notice Peter's perspective of urgency. He said, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up. As long as I'm in this body. That means we don't have all the time in the world. I don't know how much more time I have. If, and let me say something on a personal level. If God takes me out with COVID... Or if my plane goes down or my parachute fails to open. I want you to know I died doing what God called me to do and loving every minute of it. Don't you dare. Don't you dare say he messed up because he didn't take COVID seriously. I'm loving what God's called me to do. What about you? What is your purpose and what is your perspective? Do you realize you better make hay while the sun shines? We have a limited amount of time and I don't know how long I have. You say, well, you might die. I'm already dying and so are you. We just don't know the date. And we're all going to die. And the sooner we recognize that, the better we'll be able to do what God called us to do. Understand, we need to have a perspective of urgency. I don't like this thing about the round to it. I'll, get, I'll do that when I get around to it. I had a friend who used to make the round to it and give them out to everybody. You, you ever been given a round to it? How long do you have? You don't know. If you know what's right for you to do, you better get on with it. No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. By the way, Jesus had a sense of urgency. 
If you think that I, I'm pushing agendas, a type A personality, and this is just my personality, well, I, I hope it is. But I, I feel like I'm slow and lazy. But anyway, Jesus had a sense of urgency. He said, I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Night's coming, guys. When is it coming? Well, I, he's not talking about night, David. He, he's talking about the end of our time. The time that God has allowed it us. Sheila, we don't know when that is. We better be doing what we're supposed to be doing. The time is coming when we can do it no longer. Listen, we need a sense of urgency to do what we can, while we can. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Betty, just like Jacob said, come home empty. Lay it all out. Lay it all on the line. Give God everything. Everything you have, everything that you are. No reserves, no retreats. And no regrets. The second characteristic of passion, the anatomy of passion, is focus. The first is urgency. Charles, we feel motivated because we know our time is short. We know our purpose and we follow that purpose. That must also include a focus on the thing that is right. Now there's two things in this. I want you to notice he says the tent is temporary, but our legacy remains. The verse of Scripture says, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, notice the first part. That is, this tent is temporary. I like that description. It, and Charles, it's the word for tabernacle. This tabernacle, this tent. And it is literally a tent. This tent is temporary. We need to understand that this body is a shell that houses our soul. And someday, Jimmy, some. Somebody's going to knock the stakes out of the ground. The ropes will break and the tent will fall. This is temporary. I'm not saying do not try to stay alive. I think God has put it in us, Tim, uh, the, the desire for life that we will fight for every breath we draw. And I'm not saying don't do that, but understand no matter how hard you fight, no matter how safe you try to be, you're going to die. You're already dying. It is inevitable. This life is temporary. Quit acting like you're going to live forever. Teenagers probably need to hear that worse than anybody. They think they're bulletproof. I got news for you. Alex, she's pointing at you. Yeah. And you think, I only preach to you guys. You got that from the next row. 
Teenagers think they're bulletproof. Got news for you. Compared to some of us, they are. <laughs> Somebody said, why don't you, you act like you feel like a 40-year-old? And I want to say, I've got a 40-year-old in my heart living in me. Somebody said, why don't you let him out? Well, because my 70-year-old body can't handle it. <laughs> this tent is temporary. And we need to understand that we are already dying. You know, one of my favorite series is Band of Brothers. You'll forgive me if I don't usually read much of my sermon, but I have to, I won't get through this one if I don't. You know, I, I watched that series. How many of you have watched the series Band of Brothers? Wow. You need an education. You need to watch it. I watch, it's the story of the 101st in World War II, those who parachuted in behind the lines on D-Day. And I look at the scenes portrayed of how they rushed into battle, attacking a, a gunner's nest, running headlong into gunfire. And I think, how in the world did they do that? Don, there's a scene in that in that series that, that really speaks to me, there's a private who's hunkering down in a foxhole. Rodney's afraid to get out of the foxhole and aim his weapon and fire. And there's a crazy lieutenant who stands over him. Todd, I can't remember the lieutenant's name, but I remember that's Private Blythe. And the lieutenant's standing up with bullets whizzing all around him. And he says to, Jerry says to Private Blythe, he said, Blythe, the problem with you is you think you're going to get out of this alive. And the sooner you realize you're already dead, the sooner you'll be able to be the soldier that you need to be. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. The life I now live... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I'm crucified. I'm already dead. I have died to me. I have died to this world. I have died for Christ. I think about those men and how they sacrificed as soldiers for the freedom that we today enjoy. And I know this is not the 4th of July, but here it is. How can we, for whom Christ died, shrink back from a full sacrifice of our lives for God? How dare we play it safe, selfishly protecting our own positions and possessions? How dare we count our lives more dear than those who died for our freedom? How dare we count our lives more dear than our far forefathers who died martyrs' deaths for their faith in Jesus Christ? How dare we count our lives more dear than those pioneer missionaries who crossed broad lands and wide seas and entered dark jungles and braved the dangers of disease and death. 
How dare we count our lives more dear than that of our Savior who loved us and left heaven for us to die on a cruel cross, nailed to the cross in my place and yours. Listen, we need to go into battle against Satan, against the forces of evil in the world around us. We need to charge in the battle with a cry on our lips, You can't kill me because I'm already dead. The worst that you can do is knock the tent, this tent down. And if you do, I get to go see Jesus. I am crucified with Christ. He said, the Lord's already spoken to me about this. And I, I didn't want to get sidetracked, so I didn't put the verse of Scripture in, but in the last chapter of the Gospel of John, Jesus said to Peter, there's coming a time when you're old, somebody else will lead you where you don't want to go. When you're old. Kelly, I keep, I wonder, how many times did Peter say, am I old yet? Now, Brenda used to say I could say I was old when I was 70. She's changed her mind. She's upped it to 80. I'm not allowed to say I'm old. Am I old yet? Wonder how many times. Because he knew, he'd been told, Jimmy, that he was going to live to be an old man. Am I old yet? He knew that he was going to grow old. But old is relative, isn't it? How old is old? Is God through with you? If you're able to be in this service or even turn on your TV and watch this service, God is not through with you. You need to live a life of passion. Sold out. Lay it all on the line. Go home empty. As long as you have breath to breathe, God has a work for you to do. And you need to do it with passion. There is the second part of that. There is the fact that the tent is temporary, but there is also the idea of a legacy. Our legacy remains. Did you notice that he says, after my departure? You think that you can't work after you die, but do you realize that the work that you start while you're here goes on after you? Do you realize that the testimony that you leave behind with these kids with your family, at your workplace, in the business you started. Your legacy can carry on after you're gone. And we need to make sure that we have a legacy. Focus on what's important. Do not be distracted. Run the race with passion, understanding that this tent is temporary, but the souls of men are eternal. Leave a legacy, a living testimony. The souls of men are eternal. Pour yourself into people. God has put people all around you, people that you have an impact with. You work with and you meet people that I will never see 
And you may be the only Jesus that they come to know. By that I mean that you may be the only one who has earned the right to give a testimony to them of your faith in Jesus Christ. Do they see you living with passion? Passion for God? Passion for the Word of God? Passion for your church and for service to God? No reserves? No retreats? And no regrets? Leave a legacy. This life is short, but you can leave a legacy behind. And then the anatomy of our passion. What does it look like? Well, it, it, it looks like a sense of urgency. It looks like a real focus on the purpose of God in our lives and what is important. But it also looks like a compelling conviction. And that conviction must be based on truth. Conviction that's based on tradition. Conviction that is based on preferences. Conviction that's based on culture won't last. And it won't stand up under trial. But conviction that is based upon the Word of God is a compelling conviction. His Word is trustworthy. He said, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. That is an indictment against many in our day. It, it rubs me wrong when we put so much credence in so-called science when those men, the scientists, are the very ones, most of whom deny the very existence of God, deny the truth of the Word of God, they deny all of that, and you want me to trust them to tell me the truth? Really? What is truth? Pontius Pilate said that. What is truth? If you've got a Bible in your lap right now, or even on your phone, you have the truth readily available to you. This Bible is the Word of God, and it is trustworthy. It is not cleverly devised myths. He said, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But get this, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. How do you know that the Bible is true? For one thing, it was penned, it was written by eyewitnesses. We're going to talk one of these days about the resurrection. And I, I love the case for Christ. And again, another movie, a book, the testimony of a man who was an atheist. And he tried to dispel the myth of the resurrection. And one of the things, Kim... It's funny, i got two Kims sitting back there by, side by side. You can figure out, talk to either one of you, right? The thing that got to Lee Strobel in his journey to faith in Christ was that the men who created the myth of the resurrection 
died for their faith, insisting that it was true. You think men will die for a lie? You think men will sacrifice their lives for something they made up? No, listen, the Word of God was penned by eyewitnesses. The Bible is true. Not only that, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. It did not come from any man's mind. It came from the very mind of God. He says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This Bible is God-breathed, and it is true. It is what you need to use to make your decisions and to live your life. Ellen, I look at it this way. The creator of the universe gave us an instruction manual about our lives and about this universe. It only makes sense if somebody builds a machine or writes a piece of software. Now, kids, I, I, I will confess, I never read the instructions on software. Because if you have to read the instructions, the software is not well designed. Can I get an amen? I mean, so I never read the instructions. If it's not intuitive enough for me to use it without the instructions, send it back to the, to the engineer. But the creator of the universe, Corey, did not leave us without instructions about this life that he's given us. He's given us an instruction manual, and this instruction manual is from the very hand and breath of God the Father. Got a few amens. Listen to me. If the Bible's not true, we have no reason whatsoever for sacrificing our dreams, our ambitions, our possessions, or even our very lives. None whatsoever. If the Bible is not true, we have no foundation for our passion. On the other hand, if it is true, we ought to be passionate about it. Let me say that again. If, we, if the Bible's not true, we have no foundation for our passion. But listen, if the Bible is true, think about those who deny the existence of God. They deny the deity of Christ. They deny the resurrection. If they're right and I'm wrong, what have I lost? Don't say opportunities for happiness, I don't know how I could be more happy. Amen? But if I'm right, and they're wrong, they are eternally lost and separated from God. If the Bible is not true, there is no basis for our passion. But if it is true, if it is true, we ought to be passionate about it. The Bible is only made up of carefully crafted fables. It deserves no allegiance, no respect. 
But if it is truly God's Word, both it and He deserve our highest devotion. If, I, if we truly believe that the Bible is true, that it is the Word of God, that it is infallible and inerrant, that Word of God should be for us a compelling conviction that demands our time, consumes our minds, moves our hearts, and molds our lives, giving us a passion that confounds an unbelieving world. Listen to me, we ought to pour ourselves out based on the Word of God and everything we know that it reveals to us about our Savior. It ought to move us to a compassion that we would pour out our lives and go home empty. Lay it all on the line. Live, love, serve with passion to the glory of God. No reserves. No retreats. Going home empty. Used up to the glory of God with no regrets. What about you? Where does this find you? What has God called you to do? Who is He calling you to be? And what is He calling you to do? Have you discovered God's purpose in your life? If you have to say right now, I'm not sure that I have, why don't you ask Him, Lord, what would you have me do? Don't ask it if you're not willing to do it. But ask Him right now, Lord, what would you have me do? Let me tell you this, if you're here, not saved. That is, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. What do you mean by that? I mean, there's never been a time that you admitted to God, I'm a sinner, and I know I'll never make it to heaven. If you've never admitted that, and you've never repented, that is, turned away from with apology, with, with sorrow, saying, Lord, forgive me of my sin." I'm willing to turn away from that and turn to you. By the way, you know that in order to turn to God, you have to believe that He is. You have to believe that He's listening. And that He will do what you ask Him to do. He that cometh to God must believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You have to be willing to turn away from a life of sin and find forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether you're in this service or watching on your screen at home or even on your phone. If you have not done that, listen to me, that's what God wants you to do. And you need to do it now. We've already talked about how short your time is and you have no way of knowing 
if you'll have another chance to come to Jesus. If you have come to Christ, but you're not living sold out for Him a life of passion, then you need to make that commitment. And you need to make it now. Maybe you need to come for baptism. You've been saved, but you need to follow the Lord in baptism. If, if you're not a member of this church and you're under the sound of my voice, we want you to be. And you might ought to ask God what He wants and follow what He says. Obey Him. No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets.